Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. On today's show, we'll look at some coaches around the league who could be fighting for their jobs as the season wraps up. And we'll break down a front office decision in Charlotte, the biggest snubs from the Basketball Hall of Fame, and preview a busy Tuesday night schedule. It's Locked On NBA. Thank you so much for listening and for subscribing. Now let's get to the show. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for The Step Back. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Romillo, credentialed NBA writer who's covered the league at large for SB Nation and Fansided. And you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DVermill13. So no games last night. Monday night was um, the college basketball championship game. So usually in this first segment, we'll review the games from the night before. But since we're not doing that, we're going to talk about um, this, this post from uh, Tim, bon- Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post, who wrote in his Monday morning post up about some of the coaches around the league who could be looking for a new job next season. So we figured let's dive in and talk about them. Um, and, and we'll start with the easy ones, right? We'll start with uh, the Phoenix Suns job currently occupied by Jay Triano, the Bucks and Joe Prunty, the Memphis Grizzlies and J.B. Bickerstaff, all kind of lame duck coaches, interim coaches, because of firings that happened ar- earlier in the season. We expect those jobs to be open. Um, of those three, David, Milwaukee obviously is, uh, is the best job. Yeah, I mean, Prunty started off to a nice start, but I don't know if that's just uh, having unloaded uh, Jason Kidd and, and getting a fresh voice in the locker room, but they're still going through the same issues they did under Kidd, a lot of inconsistency, particularly on the, on the defensive end. So uh, absolutely, Milwaukee is still the best job there uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Eric Bledsoe under contract, and as well as Jabari Parker, who is a restricted free agent this summer. So there's a lot to look forward to if you take over that position. That's going to be an interesting one. Between Memphis and Phoenix, though, I mean, two teams that are tankalicious this season. <laughs> I, if I'm an, I think if I'm the if I'm a coach or or a prospective head coach, I'm looking and let's say Phoenix and Memphis were both offered to me. I think I would lean Phoenix in a weird way, only because look, Memphis has Mike Conley and, Gar- and Marcus Hall still under contract. Right. And they're going to have a nice pick here, and that'll probably be better next season than Phoenix will. But they're they're kind of they are what they are even still unless they are able to move Mike Conley, which he's still a good, uh, an elite level point guard. You'd have to see how he bounces back from his injury. Marcus Saul isn't the player he once was. That's a tough contract to move. I think they're sort of just they're kind of cash strapped. They're kind of locked into a little bit to what they are. Phoenix is wide open. I mean, you could package a bunch of these young players together. Devin Booker obviously is a nice scorer for them. I kind of like their they just seem to have more options going forward. I kind of like that Phoenix job. What about you? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it all depends on whether or not your vision uh, as far as what you can do with this team is aligned with the front office. You look at what Brett Brown's done in Philadelphia, and he's done a magnificent job this season. But, of course, there were a lot of seasons of losing. And so you have to have somebody with the right mindset and the right overall approach from the whole front office, not just the coaching staff, as far as what you can expect next season. Is Phoenix looking to be a playoff team next year, if that's the case? Then that goes all, that changes a lot of the decision making process. And if I was a, a potential candidate for those coaching positions, I, I'd want to know whether or not the front office had realistic expectations for this team. 
Bontemps uh, also reporting that it's expected that Jeff Hornacek in New York and Frank Vogel in Orlando will both let will, will be let go after the season's over. Um, I know that. Uh, I think the Hornacek thing isn't necessarily surprising. There, it's it's you know he was hired by Phil Jackson, and that hasn't you know he's no longer there, so he was kind of a lame duck coach a little bit anyway this season. And considering how disappointing this year has been and that New York might be going in a new direction, a younger direction in their post-Carmelo era, it makes sense. Um, Frank Vogel, though, that's a good coach, but Orlando has could have their own reasons to let him go. Well, I think a lot of that is uh, is similar to what you were mentioning about Hornacek, is that the front office was brought on this year. They didn't hire him. There's no ties there. There's no allegiances there. And while he had two seasons to try and turn this around – I mean, they went through various changes last year. They had Serge Ibaka. They traded him midseason. Uh, they got rid of, you know, a, a number of players. Alfred Payton even this year. Uh, Aaron Gordon's dealt with a number of injuries. And Vogel just hasn't been able to turn anything around there. I'm not sure what the issue is. I'm hearing that Jerry Stackhouse is the most likely candidate to fill that position, uh, considering he led the Raptors 905 team to a championship. And he was well-liked by the current administration of the Magic. So, uh, that seems to be the top candidate there. But, you know, interestingly enough, I think Vogel has a good reason to be sought after by the New York Knicks, considering the fact that he's from the New York area. And their general manager, Scott Perry, was part of the team that brought Vogel to Orlando in the first place before he joined the Knicks. So there's some ties there, interesting situations, that, and we'll see how they play out. Vogel obviously did a nice job in Indiana before he was let go by Larry Bird there. But, uh, yeah. you know, a defensive-minded coach, one of those film room guys who came out of the film room, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But... He hasn't done that in Orlando, and it, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, personnel is probably the, the, the biggest reason. But they're they're currently a, top, a bottom 10 defense in the league, giving up 108.1 points per 100 possessions. I don't um, like so the I, decision personally. I mean, I think it's – it's it's. listen, I understand that the front office isn't beholden to, to Vogel, but he hasn't been given a lot to work with. There's only so much he can do. From a reporter perspective, that's talked to him a number of times. I, I appreciate Vogel. I think he's a great leader there, and he's just trying his hardest. He just doesn't have a very good team, and that's not his fault. It made more sense when Orlando was trying to, you know, sign some free agents, and you know they made the Ibaka deal, and they tried to make that push for the playoffs and get back in there. But with a young team, I think my, Frank Vogel, frankly, is better off because I think he's going to get hired. In New York, would be a, an interesting fit if he were willing to sort of take on that young team. I mean, what he could do defensively with Porzingis could be awesome. Um, yeah. But even maybe finding, you know, the, the next job could be offered to him. But what if there's a more veteran group? Maybe like that Memphis Grizzlies group or something like that if they want to get more to a defensive first identity and kind of return to that um, from their grit and grind days. I don't know. I think Vogel's still a good coach. I'm with you. I, I, he's going to be a, a good hire for somebody possibly. Um, so those that's the group that Bontemps laid out that it's basically they're out, you know, from what from what he's hearing in his reporting. There's another group of guys who could be out, but it's not necessarily a guarantee. It, maybe it depends on these next this next week or so as the season uh, c- comes to a conclusion or it could deter- it could depend on – some front office uh, changes and what they view these these current coaching positions as. But let's, I mean, Stan Van Gundy obviously is the name that a lot of people are talking about. He is not only the coach, but basically the acting general manager as well. Um, I, I think that you could see him let go. It's been a disappointing season. Or you could see something as far, like kind of what Doc R- happened to Doc Rivers going into this season where they basically take away the executive role and just say, you know, you're a coach, just go coach. We'll let somebody right. else make the personnel decisions. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but all the other, just to round out the rest of the group, Steve Clifford with the Hornets. We'll see what happens there. Mike Budenholzer with the Hawks. Interesting situation there. Doc Rivers with the Clippers. Um, a similar situation to Budenholzer, and we'll talk about that. And then Michael Malone with the Denver Nuggets. Um, Michael Malone, let's start there, uh, David. 
has done a nice job in Denver. They've increased their win total every year he's been there, but you they went into the season with really high expectations of making the playoffs. It, they're currently out of the playoff picture. That could change in these next few games. Of of this entire group, I think his future depends most on this next week than anybody else. Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, you know, obviously the rest of these teams, well, well, the Clippers are fighting for a playoff spot too, but I think Doc's done enough there so that he's pretty assured of a job. Interestingly, he's also one of the names that's been linked to New York, having been a player there. Mm. But as far as Malone is concerned, yeah, I think he's done a good job. He didn't deal with a number of injuries. Um, you know, Paul Millsap in particular has been a problem. They're trying to reintegrate him. They signed him to such a huge deal. Again, not reflective of Malone's ability, but what is, is has been his rotations. He's had some problems there hasn't been able to establish any kind of steady presence or flow. And that's been something that he's been criticized from uh, by a lot of uh, Denver reporters and, and uh, you know, different pundits and stuff like that. So uh, as much as I like Michael Malone, I, I think that maybe you can question whether or not he's done a good job. Yeah, he's done it on the surface, but with their expectations as high as they were, he hasn't quite lived up to those. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him let go. Look, uh, Jamal Murray, I think, is is – I want to word this the right way. I don't want to say he's part of the problem there, but I mean, you look at his scoring totals and they've almost doubled from last season. I mean, he, he's having right. a great scoring season, but really hasn't progressed as much as a point guard as I think a lot of people were, were hoping. And that's a tough position to learn. You know, uh, he went basically from 9.9 points as a rookie per game to 16.7 right now is the time we're recording this. But his assist only went up by basically one assist per game, right? So his, his scoring yeah. is left. His, his assists... And his turnover, his assist rate, his assist to turnover ratio, I should say, has basically been stagnant from a rookie to a second year player. You hope that that gets better, and I think that the absence of a true point guard there has hurt them, you know, or mm-hmm. or an effective rotational true point guard there. They they recently traded for Devin Harris, and that's helped a little bit there. But you obviously want to play Murray the most at that position um, because he's developing. I think Michael Malone should get another year, is what I'm trying to say, and, and hopefully get these guys to develop a little bit more, um, and then see what happens because I think he's done a nice job. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Mike Boonholzer and Doc Rivers situations, though, because, you know, they are the two guys on this list who the decision could be in their hands more than the front office. I mean, you're going to have uh, Boonholzer didn't sign up, and, and this is the way Bontemps describes it, didn't sign up for this. You know what I mean? He signed up for a team that had Al Horford and, and Jeff Teague and, and Paul Millsap there and was ready to go ahead and win 60 games like they did um, and, and be competitive in the Eastern Conference. And they had to rebuild for a variety of reasons, and they might say, look, Boonholzer, you didn't sign up for this. Boonholzer might say, I don't want to be here. I want to go coach a team that's ready to compete. You need a, a, a maybe a younger coach, one that's willing to deal uh, more more in tune with player development, where Boonholzer is known as, as more so an X's and O's kind of guru kind of guy. Um, yeah. Boonholzer and, and the Hawks decide to part ways for the better of both parties. It makes sense. You know, I mean, it, it's just – you know, he didn't. He did not sign up for a team that was rebuilding, that was uh, struggling to find an identity. Now, look, I mean, to be honest, they do play hard, so there's something of that, and it's it's kind of fun to watch from that perspective, seeing a guy like Torian Prince kind of take the next step in his development and everything else. So that hasn't been too bad, but it is difficult to go through that process considering the kind of veteran-laden team that he had inherited when he took over the position in the first place and guiding him to 60 wins at one point. Um, you know, I don't get any sense whether or not he's willing to leave or not, but I could, I could see it. I could see him trying to take over maybe the Memphis position. Mm -hmm. That's again, more well-stocked with veterans, you know, ready to compete for an immediate playoff spot and hoping that maybe he can kind of guide them to that next level. 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. There's going to have to be some uh, backdoor shenanigans happening, right? I mean, I don't, I'm not not reporting anything, but it seems obvious. Um, If, if one of these jobs open up, I mean, Milwaukee is going to be a sought after position. New York could be, I mean, people still go to New York for things. Um, If if Budenholzer was looking at one of these, these job opportunities, Detroit, possibly, if he's looking at one of these job opportunities, says I want to go there. Maybe a lot of these, maybe these other front offices are waiting, could, could end up waiting to see what Atlanta does. And what Budenholzer does, and, and before they start filling their own vacancies, but um, Steve Clifford, we're going to talk about him. Uh, he may keep his job in Charlotte or not, but the front office is going to make that decision. And there's some changes happening there. But first, quick reminder that Locked On NBA has moved to a new five day a week format. Think of it as your bite sized briefing for the most important stories around the league. So subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We're going to preview the biggest games of the night later on. Let's get to some of the big storylines around the league. And the biggest one so far is that former Lakers GM Mitch Kupchak has been offered the Charlotte Hornets general manager job. This is according to Rick Bonnell of the Charlotte Observer. He's expected to take the job and replace Rich Cho, who was fired uh, earlier this season. Kupchak back in the game, David. Is this a good move for Hornet, uh, for the Hornets? I think it's kind of a boring move, to be 100% honest with you. Kupchak is a fine general manager, uh, you know, a pretty decent person from what everybody around the league has said about him in the past. Um, but I don't know that he's necessarily the kind of guy that to take over this roster. As, as cash-strapped as they are, as loaded with some dead weight as they've been, and, and to turn it around into something positive. I just – I think there's – Part of, well, I think the main part why why owner Michael Jordan would bring Kupchak along was basically because he's a former Tar Heel. Kupchak, having played and, and started at the University of North Carolina, where Michael attended, uh, and I think there's that strong camaraderie there. Michael's always brought on players with a North Carolina leaning, uh, and I think that's that's the reason why Kupchak is being offered the position. I, you know, maybe he feels some kind of camaraderie there. Maybe they can share a vision for what they want on this team. But when you have players like Nick Batum making you know millions and millions of dollars and not being able to get on the floor and play as consistently as uh, you still have Dwight Howard there taking up all this cap space, you're, you're trying to trade Kemba Walker and not get anything back from him. I mean, they've got so many decisions to make. Not the least of which is whether or not they should retain Steve Clifford. Well, you know, I think both of us agree he's a fine coach and, mm-hmm. and, and has done a pretty good job overall in Charlotte. And the the Kupchak hiring is interesting to me because you look at what he did in with the Lakers and it was a lot of, all right, let me make trades for superstars or go sign superstars in free agency. And the problem in Charlotte hasn't – like they, they got Dwight Howard now, very veteran post his prime Dwight Howard, but they've been able to sign guys. They signed Nick Batum they, or they traded for Nick Batum rather, but yeah. they were able to re-sign him. Um, they've made some moves in free agency. The problem with them has been drafting. I mean, they've just not drafted well over the last years. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist hasn't developed the way they, they, that they've hoped. Malik Monk is only recently getting off the bench there. Um, you know, Frank Kaminsky hasn't hasn't panned out necessarily well. Yeah. So I think drafting is the issue. And Mitch Kupchak, I'm not saying he can't, but it not, it's not really it, – it doesn't stand out on his resume. I'm struggling to find one, yeah, one, one pick he's had uh, when he was GM of the, the Lakers that kind of made a serious impact. Devin George? I mean, yeah, I, but he's always like kind of even either traded the picks or traded the players right. soon after being picked. Like they haven't really had a chance to develop or pan out or they were just buried on the bench behind, you know, guys like Kobe Bryant. And, and then, you know, you look later on where you got like Steve Nash and, and Dwight Howard together with Kobe and tried to kind of create his own big three there. Right. That And I just, 
I don't, you mentioned the salaries. I mean, the Hornets don't have any cap space, right. zero in the foreseeable future. So unless he's able to make some crazy cap maneuvers and maybe trade Kemba Walker along with one of those bigger salaries, and it's going to take a lot more moves like that in order to become a real free agent destination. And even then, are they? I mean, it's the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, it's not the Lakers. He's not working with that anymore. Yeah. Um, so know, the, I, I think it's a little curious. The good, the good thing about having a guy like Kupchak in there is decades of, of established connections all around the league. I mean, there mm-hmm. isn't anybody in any front office that he probably hasn't talked to or made a deal with at some point in his in his tenure with the Los Angeles Lakers. So I think that that helps smooth things. It helps facilitate any kind of moves that he might be willing to make there. So Maybe that's what they. Maybe that he he went in there with a clear plan, saying this is the who we have to move. This is what we're going to try to accomplish here. And maybe Michael bought it hook, line, and sinker. So I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if he went in there with a nice concept that seemed palatable, and that that's the main reason why he was brought on. Let's see whether or not he's able to implement it. That's the question. The pitch was now. Hear me out. Hear me out, Mike. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to trade Kemba. We're going to attach Batum's contract to that. We're going to put a jersey back on you, MJ. We're going to get out there and lead us to a championship. That was, and Michael's like, I've never heard a better idea. That's amazing. Um, we got breaking news out of Boston, sort of, uh, that Gordon Hayward has begun a light on-court jog at the Boston Celtics training facility. David, does this mean the Celtics season is saved? Absolutely not. <laughs> I love this. The Hayward watch is hilarious. A, a light on-court jog. I mean, if you're a Celtics fan, you've got to be losing your mind right now. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, there's been rumors and, and maybe – maybe not rumors, but more so hopeful speculation. Yes. Maybe. Yes. You'd say that, that he could be back for the postseason. But Kyrie Irving might not even be back for the first round of the playoffs. So, uh, look, it's nice to – the Players' Tribune tweeted a video of Gordon Hayward on, you know, having – a, a light jog just around the training facility, which I guess is improvement. But I, I took a yeah, I took I a light I, I, took a, point, you know, so. I took a light jog outside. Nobody made a big deal about that. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what I got to do around here. Um, <laughs> other storyline here is uh, the Hall of Fame. Right, uh, recently announced that they the Basketball Hall of Fame will take Ray Allen, Mo Cheeks, Grant Hill, Jason Kidd, and Steve Nash. Uh, obviously, do you, let's just start there. Any bones to pick with that? I, I think we're we're all in agreement. Those were good picks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can make a case one way or the other. Mo Cheeks, obviously, as a longtime veteran, assistant coach, head coach, etc. I mean, maybe he didn't have the kind of distinguished playing career that stands out, but it was a very overall solid one. So that I think that's the most questionable pick. Obviously, there are other selections, international players like Boston Celtics legend Dino Raja making the Hall of Fame, as a, mm-hmm. as well as a number of others, but. Uh, of those five, yeah, that seems like a fair case. A lot of guards. A lot of guards. Um, so, but, you know, no bones to pick there. The biggest snubs, though, uh, let's – you listed them out here, David. Rudy Rudy Tomjanovich, Chris Weber, Tim Hardaway, Sean Kemp. I mean, when you're making the rounds and you're kind of saying, okay, who got snubbed? Because that, te- that tends to be the storyline of the Hall of Fame is less about who got in. and who it more. It's more about who didn't get in. Should yeah. any of these guys have gotten in this time? I think the strongest case is probably Weber, uh, yeah. depending on how you feel about Tomjanovic's playing career. Um, you know, look, he was a solid coach. He did a really, really, really good job in Houston. Uh, you know, this is where the question comes into play as to how much of an influence he had. He he had Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon, one of the best players in NBA history. So it's tough to say how much Tomjanovic had as far as what kind of an impact he had on leading that team to two championships in the 90s. 
but he was a great coach. He had a, a, a you know a bad stint with the Lakers after that, and, and so you could question whether or not he was an elite level coach. But I think he did the best he could. He found a way to maximize Olajuwon's abilities out there. But as far as the players that were snubbed, to me, Weber just had a great, great career. I mean, you can question whether or not he he had uh, any big moments in the clutch. Unfortunately, he's always been dogged by what happened to him uh, in the NCAA championship. He never really made it to the finals, never won a championship or anything like that. And his career kind of tapered off in the end there when he was playing for a number of teams, including Philadelphia and Detroit. Uh, but, you know, his passing as a big man, um, his scoring ability, his, you know, his, his, his ability to stretch the floor from three-point range, you know, you can question whether or not he was a good defender, but as a scorer and offensive player, he was an elite game changer. And so you could probably make a very, very strong case that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. He does. I mean, he should have been in. And this is a guy who was ahead of his time. And and really, this this is an argument down down to, OK, are, am I going to measure a player by his peak or by his longevity? And for Chris uh, Weber, unfortunately, he didn't have the longevity. Injuries played a factor later on in his career, but... He had a seven-year stint in Sacramento that was just unbelievable. I mean, he made four All-Star games. Um, again, you talk about the, him being ahead of his time as a player. 23.5 points per game, 10.6 rebounds per game, 4.8 assists, and then three steal, and then averaged a, a combined three uh, steals and blocks per game. And th- that, those are his Sacramento averages, not his career averages. But you look at what he was able to put together then, um, and he was able to play a lot of games in those seasons. I, you look at the passing, you look at the his ability to stretch the floor, and he only averaged um, like one three-point attempt per game for his career. But early right. in early in his career, he was taking two to three po- three-pointers a game, um, and it wasn't necessarily at a high percentage. But his shooting, like you, you could kind of look and project, and maybe this isn't fair for the Hall of Fame case, but you could look and project like as his free throw percentage got higher, he didn't take as many three-point attempts because that was the time of the league where, you know, big men were forced to be big men in the, on the inside and not necessarily on the perimeter. But in today's game, it'd be easy to see Chris Webber being like Carl Anthony Towns, you know, and just taking four to six three pointers a game. And just, could you imagine what his scoring averages would have been in that? Now, again, that's not, you can't necessarily make that part of your hall of fame uh, resume argument, but it is something to consider. Like, I just, I feel like Webber should be in there. I feel like the case against him is one, the lack of championship success. Um, and, you know, and he went up against a, a Lakers juggernaut for most of that Sacramento Kings tenure there. So yeah. I think that's what, part of the problem. Uh, and also the fact that he was part of a really, really good team, you know, with Jason Williams, Mike Bibby at one point, uh, Peja Sojakovic, you know, Vladi Divac. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of other that key whole team role players. Bobby Jackson. That team should Doug be in the Hall of Fame as a team. That was a great team. <laughs> It was, a great it was a lot of fun to watch and, and, and kind of reminiscent of teams that we see nowadays around the league. We'll preview tonight's best games. It's a busy Tuesday with some interesting cross-conference uh, um, matchups here. And then, of course, some games that can impact the playoff uh, picture. But first, don't forget that in addition to the daily Locked On NBA show, the Locked On Podcast Network also has a daily show for your favorite NBA team. So go ahead and subscribe to your team's channel on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. By subscribing to both Locked On NBA and your favorite team show, you'll be covered with everything that you need to know. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. So we got a, a rare Monday night off uh, for the NCAA championship game, David. Um, so that means that all of the games were basically pushed to Tuesday night. 13 games in total, 26 teams are playing. And we're at the point in the season where almost all of them um, matter except for the Sacramento versus Phoenix game. Uh, so let's let's go into tonight's best games and and you know the headliners so to speak. 
I think that one's got to be Toronto at Cleveland. I mean, that's going to be a huge. That, that's going to be an entertaining game. It should be right. I mean, from Toronto's perspective, they've probably locked down the first seed unless they lose a bunch of game, of the last five of their games or so. But for Cleveland, I think it's that kind of statement game. You know, mm-hmm. they want to be able to prove to themselves that they can hang in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, you know, obviously they can probably dispatch whomever they face in the playoffs in the earlier rounds. But when they start going up against teams like Boston and or Toronto, I, I feel like they kind of want to make a statement. And and this, even though it's a regular season game, is a good opportunity for that. I'm sure at Cleveland, they're going to be extremely fired up there. Toronto struggled against, well, who did, they lost the Celtics lately. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think. I, I know well, they, they dropped another they, game. They lost, so they, the, they lost to the uh, Cavaliers um, earlier in March. I mean, and it, that was a close game, right? Toronto uh, or the Cleveland beat Toronto one thirty two to one twenty nine. That was the game where LeBron went off. He had thirty five points. I mean, I should say that's the game where LeBron went off. Those are like all the games lately, except for the one in Miami. <laughs> but um, uh, look, Toronto is going to be motivated to come out and say, "Look, that that three point win, we we're going to come back and, and and beat you this time." I mean, that that to me is what I'm looking forward to to see Toronto's response. You know, and, and or whether or not they even yeah. care. That's it, it, it's just kind of it, it's an interesting way to s- sort of see the personality of a team a little bit. Um, the next game is, that I'm really excited for Washington at Houston. Um, this could be an interesting matchup of uh, shooting guards here. Yeah, sure. Bradley Beal versus James Harden. That's that's the uh, the marquee matchup there. John Wall probably be back in the lineup mm-hmm. at this point, having taken the most recent game off there. But I, from the Washington perspective, they've dropped a number of games here. They, they play on and off so frequently. Uh, they could continue to slide down the Eastern Conference standings. I don't assume that they'll fall out of it completely, but this is a game they probably need to win just to be able to hang on to their playoff seating. They could drop to eighth. I don't know that they want to match right. up against the Toronto Raptors. So this is an important game. They have to win this. And Houston, obviously, they want to hang on to the one seed in the Western Conference. So this is these teams are both going to be playing at a high level. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who can pull it out here. Yeah, and if Washington's bigs are, are able to kind of wall off Clint Capella from his rim rolls and stuff like that. That's I mean, not going to happen. No, probably not. Um, come on, Eon Mahimi. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, our last, our last uh, marquee game of the night is Golden State slash Kevin Durant returning to Oklahoma City. This is always going to be an event, and as such, it is the TNT game of the night. Um, but look, I, Oklahoma City, they're a playoff team. Golden State, they are led by Kevin Durant while Steph Curry remains sidelined with his ankle injury. So, I mean, it, it's always going to be a, a, a marquee matchup when Durant is playing the Thunder. Anything? Does he get, does he still get booed at Chesapeake Energy Arena? He's got to. He does. Right? Yeah, I imagine so. They 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 they, they still hate By him the over there boys. for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> but look, I mean, for Oklahoma City, you know, they they fancy themselves giant beaters, and mm-hmm. they've had some success against the top teams in the league, including Houston and others. So it should be an interesting one to see whether or not they can hold a home court advantage and knock off the the the, the you know the, the Warriors who are. Again, depleted and have half their roster intact there. So this isn't a realistic looking matchup, or nor is it a preview of what could you know we could see in the Western Conference playoffs. But at the same time, it's always a fun, interesting matchup. So there's some other games like those are the game. Those three are the games that you should probably be watching tonight. Um, and there's some other. There's a handful of games that you should be monitoring just because they're going to have an impact on the Eastern Conference standing and then the Western Conference standing. So let's start in the East. Um, Boston plays in Milwaukee at eight. 
Brooklyn plays in mm-hmm. Philadelphia at 7, and Atlanta plays in Miami at 7.30. So, again, you have Boston and Milwaukee. That can That's going to factor into the Eastern Conference standings. Um, and then you have Miami and Philadelphia who are playing. All these teams kind of bunched up there could finish anywhere between really – four and seven in the Eastern conference. Yeah. A Cleveland loss and a Philadelphia win puts them in the third seed, I think in the Eastern conference. So that should be a really interesting one. Obviously they've got a much easier matchup against the Brooklyn Nets, even without Joel Embiid. So, uh, Philadelphia probably could wind up as a third seed by the end of uh, Tuesday night. And then in the Western conference, we also have a few games with playoff implications, Indiana at Denver. So the nuggets on the line, the Lakers are playing the jazz and then the, the Spurs are playing the Clippers. So you look at, you know, the Nuggets, the Lake, uh, not the Lakers, but the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Spurs, and the Clippers. All, again, bunched up there at the, at the bottom of the Western Conference. This is going to make a difference in seeding, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Look, for Indiana, they'll probably hang on to that fifth seed. Mm-hmm. They, they've done a very good job there. But the Nuggets are desperate to try and get into the playoffs, as we talked about earlier. They're hosting the, the Pacers, so that should be a really interesting one. At Utah, also an advantage for them. The Clippers at San Antonio. What version of San Antonio? What version of the Clippers are we going to see? That, that Always a fun one, the late game on TNT at 1030. So that's that's a really, really nice matchup. Yeah, even the Clippers don't know what version of the Clippers they're going to see until they actually start playing. Um, they never do. So, all right. Well, again, those are the games tonight. Um, that's all we have for today. You can subscribe to Locked on NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll be back next Tuesday. John Corrales and Jake Madison, they've got you on Locked on NBA tomorrow. Thank you for listening.